Welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome on a Tuesday, February 27th. This hour of Flames Talk is underway with Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. The countdown is most certainly on. Uh, four games, 10 days until the 2024 trade deadline. Our coverage of the trade deadline uh, wall-to-wall on Friday, March 8th. So four games um, as we're talking right now between... As you and I are about to dive into this conversation until the 1 p.m. Mountain trade deadline on March 8th. Three home games and then one on the road. And I want to re-up a conversation that we kind of touched on fringe-wise on Monday's show but didn't get an opportunity to dive really headfirst into it. Wes, first of all, hello. Welcome, oh. to, welcome to the Saddle Dome on the Hot Stove Lounge. Oh, well, hello, buddy. Thank you very much. Open door policy here. Um, Feels that way. When do we see the Flames start holding players out for injury protection? And and by players, I'm talking about two. When when do we see one of or both Noah Hannafin or Chris Tanev sat down here? Um, do we see them sat down and held out of a game for asset or injury protection between now and the trade deadline? Or... On this homestand, uh, they're about to kick off a three-game homestand Tuesday night against the L.A. Kings. It also sees them take on Pittsburgh on Saturday on Mika Kippersoff night. By the way, I uh, saw Mika Kippersoff today. Walked by him upstairs. That was very neat. Nice. He, was, he was talking to Peter Hamlin, so I didn't want to bother the conversation. But I'm like, I, I heard the voice. I'm like, that? No, that's definitely Mika Kippersoff. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I saw the video the Flames posted on Monday and saw him with my own two eyes in the flesh uh, on Tuesday morning. So that was pretty neat. But Saturday's Mika Kippersoff night, and then uh, a week, a little less than a week from now, Monday to wrap up the homestand, they'll take on the Seattle Kraken in a big game. Like, do we see, if, if there's no trade, do we see Tanev and Hannafin play in all three games on this homestand? And then they've got this road trip, three-game roadie through south, the Southeast United States that starts on Thursday of next week, starts in Tampa Bay the day before the trade deadline. That's the one that I'm feeling somewhat confident on. Mm-hmm. If Hannafin and Tanev are still on the team, do they even make that trip? Do they, if they're going to hold them out, because it feels like the, the one game that you feel pretty confident they might get sat down in is the game the day before the trade deadline on the road. And if that is the case, if we're on to something there, do they even make the trip to Florida or do they stay here knowing that a trade is coming? I ask these questions rhetorically and without an answer, but it is uh, it is a, a big-time conversation that we're going to be having more and more over the next week and a half. Let, let me ask you this, and I, I don't do this to dodge your question because yeah. I, I want to answer it, but let me ask you this. Besides the night in 2013 that Jerome was scratched because a trade was imminent, do you ever remember the Flames holding a player out for asset management reasons? No. Um, and honestly, I can't remember the last time. When was the last time that they 
moved away a player like a regular roster player in season. I mean, obviously 2013, they did it with two in Jerome and and Jay Bomeister. Right. And Curtis Glencross followed that. That and that's the one that I that, that's the one that I'm thinking of most recently. Like when's the last time an impact-ish player was moved out in season was Glencross. Yeah. Do we count Sam Bennett to to Florida? Yeah, I guess Bennett would be the yeah. last one. Yeah, Bennett would actually be the last one in 2021. I, that, that that absolutely counts because yeah. he was a regular on this roster. So there's – and they didn't held, hold him out for injury protection that year. Um, so it yeah. just the, – the timing seems very interesting that they're starting a road trip. It's the beginning of the road trip the day before the trade deadline. I, I'm glad you wanted to touch on this subject today and I was glad when I I saw your text with this as one of the suggested topics because I said on Flames Talk yesterday that I thought tonight against the Los Angeles Kings should probably be Chris Tanev's last game in a Flames uniform that I would not risk the last three and then last night as I was driving home I I think I was sort of reconsidering that I, I think because of the celebration that's happening on Saturday I think it makes sense to stick with your full lineup Saturday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then that's the end for me. I I agree with your sort of sense of confidence that that Thursday game against Tampa Bay should be a, a no-doubter that any players that are on the block shouldn't be in the lineup less than 24 hours before the deadline. But I wouldn't be messing with the last game on this homestand either. And and I'm curious, you know, on the text line, how people feel. I just think every single game now, you're taking a risk. And you can't ask the players to play any differently. You can't ask Chris Tanev to try not to block shots or or not go retrieve pucks in the corner with a four-checker on them or anything like that. And quite frankly, you can't ask Ryan Huska, the head coach, to treat them any differently either. You know, the the stat that I just pulled up, because I've been sort of blown away by how much Noah Hannafin's been playing, especially of late. Noah Hannafin's over 25 minutes a night in the month of February. He's playing two and a half minutes more than any other Flames defenseman this month. If you go back to the start of January, so 2024, he's playing 24-28. He's led this team in ice time going back to sort of New Year's Eve or or whatever specific date you want to look at. And so you know Ryan Husk is going to play the wheels off Noah Hannafin. You know when there's a penalty kill, no matter who's about to unleash the one-timers from the flank, that Chris Tanev's going to be there trying to jump in front of them. You can't change any of that, but... You know, you look at that game against the Seattle Kraken next week, and, and yes, it's a big one. Massive game. But they call it asset management for a reason. That's two points. If you're going to properly manage these assets, I just don't know that I'm willing to risk it. The, um, the, the, the balance is so delicate, and it's a real tightrope walk because part of, part of what the Flames are trying to do here is – get younger, get themselves to a better spot two, three, four years down the road, but also not completely tank their competitiveness right now. And part of what they'd like to do this season 
is make the deals they need to make, make the best moves and best decisions for the team, which in some cases is dealing players with these two specifically. In some cases, the best move for the team long-term may be not to trade a player a la Jacob Markstrom if the offers aren't there. But part of the part of the, the balance they're trying to walk between now and mid-April is make the deals that are best for the team or make the decisions that are best for the team and also still fight and play your asses off to try to make the playoffs. And here they've got an L.A. team that they're chasing, then they've got Pittsburgh, and then they've got a Seattle team that they are not just like in the fight with, they are tooth and nail in the fight with. And so if you're Craig Conroy, I saw Conroy pacing, and, and like he wanted to win that game. He wanted the group to win that game bad in Edmonton on Saturday. And the, the, the wins are, are just as important right now in terms of how the team is thinking as they would be in any other year. So you're fighting for a playoff spot. You're fighting to win games, and you severely handicap your chances of beating the Tampa Bay Lightning in their building without your number one pairing, without Hannafin and Tanev, who you deploy in the toughest situations on this team. So it, it is a massive balancing act. It is yeah. a delicate balancing act. And and honestly, I wouldn't want to be in Craig Conroy's shoes telling Ryan Huska when it's time to sit these players or when he's going to pull these guys from being available because Ryan Huska is dialed on winning. And Blake Coleman and Michael Backlund and Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberto and these guys, Jacob Markstrom, all these guys care about is going out and winning the next game and, and keeping themselves in this playoff fight. And then you're taking two of your most important players away at some point, potentially. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's but, a really re- – but I'm with you. I think it is a difficult balance to strike, but I think it's still one that you need to strike properly. And I don't know. If, if they were to play him in all three games at home – I'd be okay with it. Um, I just I would have a hard time risking that game in Tampa, and I would probably just be leaving the guys back here. If you know you're trading them, what's the point in making them go all the way to Florida, right? Well, and this is where it becomes such a, a delicate balance because the you know the flip side of it is okay. Well, if you're not willing to play them in Tampa, why why are you playing them? against Seattle or why are you playing them against Pittsburgh like if if you're taking a long range view on this thing especially as it pertains to two players on I'll remind everyone for the umpteenth time expiring contracts they're they're not going to be back like if you're not going to have Chris Tanev or Noah Hannafin on that Saturday afternoon in Florida it doesn't make any sense to risk them on Thursday against Tampa or Monday, it's Monday, right? Monday, Monday against, against uh, Seattle. Seattle. Yep. Like, at some point, the asset management, I keep using that term because that's what you're probably going to call it on Twitter when they mention that they're healthy scratches or, or asset management scratches. Like, if you're managing the asset, I think we're pretty well at the point or, or damn close to it that you can't risk it any longer. Yep. And that's why... You know, I originally said, especially for Chris Tanev, I thought tonight should be the end. Now I, I guess I've softened that stance a little bit to include Give it Saturday. One more game. But I, I will I refuse to budge any further. If you and I are negotiating on this, I'm not willing to go past Sunday. So if okay, now here is if if you were fully in control. What do you mean if? If if you made <laughs> sorry. 
when you were, now that I know you've stepped away from making the decisions. But if, if you had the final say, and if, yeah. if Craig Conroy called you right now and said, ah, Wes, I can't make the decision. What, what, what am I doing? You make the call. Do they play in this game against L.A.? Yes. And then they play. So you're – do they play against Pittsburgh? And, and this is – maybe this is the part where I'm off my rocker. <laughs> I, I, I treat the two a little differently. I, I'm willing, I get it. I'm I willing get to leave Noah Hannafin, who's a little bit younger, who, well, seven years younger. Durability is one of his strengths. Yeah, doesn't block the same number of shots, doesn't find himself maybe in, in position to be hit as often because of his skating ability. And, and that's not saying Chris Tanev's a bad skater, it's just Noah Hannafin's closer to an elite skater. For a bunch of reasons, I, I'm, I guess, a little bit less worried about him. But, uh, yeah, so so here's my final answer. I'm taking Chris Tanev out of the lineup after tonight. Okay. And I'm taking Noah Hannafin out after Saturday. <sighs> I, I feel you. If it's me, yeah. if I'm making the calls, I'm playing him the rest of the homestand. I just think taking him out Thursday, and then I take him out Thursday. Yeah. I, I leave him back. I, I, and I honestly have no idea if this is what Conroy and the Flames are going to do. I honestly have no feel on that. You know, we we uh, talked on on Monday's show um, about you know the Noah Hannafin situation and where things sit there, and I think we got a pretty good idea as to why a deal hasn't been made yet, and and some of the hurdles that exist. I, I encourage you to go back and listening to listen to hour one of Monday's show, and I think we got a pretty good idea where the Tanev situation sits right now. And because, like, uh, because of where things sit, because this has been such a grind, because the Flames are trying their damnedest to get one of those teams that Noah Hannafin would sign with to pony up the assets to bring him in and, and not just say, ah, we'll give it a shot in July, this thing could go right up to March 8th. Yep. It would not. Look, I it could happen in the next 42 minutes or it could – it just would not surprise me in the slightest if we're early afternoon or late morning on March 8th and we still don't know what, where those guys are going because this situation uh, might go right up to it. And to maximize, especially Noah, they might need to wait until the 11th hour to make this happen. And because of that, it just it feels to me like taking them out on a homestand in front of the paying public and all that type of stuff. That's that's hard to do, but, especially with two games inside your division. Yeah, but and I feel now, I, I understand what you're going to say. Now, I get it. Now we're talking trade of a different sort, and now now we're trading points in the standings for picks or prospects, right? Like I believe that the Calgary Flames should be able to ultimately recoup a first round pick. And I'm not saying that's the entirety of the package, but I believe there will be a first-round pick coming back for both of these players because I believe that Brad Living can't continue to sit. The Toronto Maple Leafs are playing six lefties six on their blue line left tonight. Six defensemen. And so I, I just – Which happens all the time. I do believe know. that as Craig Conroy, and credit to him, continues to wait out the market on Chris Tanev, I do believe someone's finally going to flinch and say, okay, first-rounder, it's on the table. Maybe it's heavily conditioned, and by that I mean, you know, maybe it's a, a second rounder that can become a first with what would be fairly achievable goals for the Flames. But I do believe there's there's a first rounder in the offing. As do for, I for Chris Tatum. 
I do believe that the return package, and I know we talked on Flames Talk yesterday about the fact that, you know, they're, it's been a grind to get the sort of offers that they think Noah Hannafin should fetch, but that's going to include a first-round pick. And so now we talk about Monday against the Seattle Kraken. That's two points on the table. There's two first-round picks on the table. Are you willing for two points to fritter away one of those first-round picks because of an injury? Yeah. Because the I, I guess where I go with Noah Hannafin is the reason we're hearing it's become such of a grind, sorry, such a grind, is that this is going to be a rental. He He's a little bit uncertain, or he has a very limited list of where he's willing to go. If he's a rental, he can't get hurt. You can't risk not getting anything for him because if he's not sure about signing an extension, then what's his value injured? It's it's almost nothing. And then you're begging him further to stay, something that has not worked to this point. And so I just think, you know, two points, four points in exchange for first-round picks, it's not a trade that I'm willing to make. You want to talk underwhelming trade return? Yeah. How about an injured guy for nothing? So in saying that, should they not just be sat out the rest of the time now? <laughs> well, I'm trying, Pat. I'm trying to meet you in the middle here. I'm tr- I am. I'm trying to. I'm trying to put myself in. In. I, I know what they're trying to accomplish here, right? They're trying to win as many games as possible. They want to be in the playoffs, and so the the balance. I I think what is the best balance to protect assets and still try to make the playoffs is play them for the rest of this homestand, and then yeah. honestly, as members of the Calgary Flames. Noah Hannafin and Chris Tanev would not be hopping on another airplane. Um, and, and so, as again, as members of the Flames, they'll hop on an airplane to go to their next team, and, and then they'll be, you know, shuttling around the country and the, the, the continent with their new team. I just, I think they play the rest of this home. If, if it were me, I'd play them the rest of this homestand because you've got two games in your division, and you've got people paying through the nose to come, come watch that game sure. on Saturday for good reason, by yeah. the way. It's going to be an incredibly special night. But the, to then have Hannafin and Tanev not play, I don't know. Whereas it would seem kind of over-the-top risky to play them on the Thursday before the trade deadline. Yeah, Everything else you can make an argument for, but like, you, you, there would be... There would be next to no way to dodge the criticism if they played the Thursday, and then you know something right. knock on wood did happen. So, and you and like you and I are making the exact same argument. We just have a different. Our timelines we just are have slightly a different, date. different right? and, and so, I I just I think I I don't think one game's enough. Let's uh, hit a few texts. Lots of different opinions on this one, which is really interesting. Uh, this reads. No first-round pick if they get injured. Conroy's probably sweating bullets right now. The NHL frowns on sitting players out. They do. There's not really anything they can do about it, but they do not like it, and yeah. they have exerted some pressure and some influence in saying, we would rather you not can do this. And, and I do think that the NHL's problem with it, at least to my understanding, has become when a guy comes out really early. Yeah. I'm not sure the difference between one or three games necessarily gets no, it you was a call three from weeks Gary Bettman. Yeah, it was like. it was uh, Chickering getting a season off so that they could maximize his trade value. Yeah. That that was really 
that's the one that really irked the league. Uh, this says, I look at it this way. If someone gets a minor injury, it won't affect their trade value as he'd be back before playoffs. If he gets injured to the extent that he couldn't return before playoffs, his value as a free agent could be affected enough that the Flames could just re-sign him. That comes from Jay in Silverado. Now, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is something that I think needs to be sort of explored further is would that not impact his trade value like now let's let's use Chris Tanav as an example because it takes the extension part out of it so you know a team at the deadline has 20 games left plus playoffs if Chris Tanav could only play five of those regular season games and playoffs I don't believe that the trade offer is as strong as it would if he's playing 20 yeah personally yep and, and nothing against Jay and Silverado because it's a great text, but I do think that an injury, regardless uh, of when a guy might be back, is going to impact the value. Uh, this reads, how far would they go in the playoffs realistically? Don't risk your assets and help yourself get a better pick too. I've really enjoyed watching the last few games, but it's a little too late anyway. Uh, that's from Corey. From Mike, I'd play them as well, but if I had to take out a guy for asset management purposes, I'd have to go the opposite way of Wes and play Tanev instead. Hannafin will be worth more, and to possibly lose out on that is the bigger risk, in my opinion. Uh, Jared and Seaton says, is it possible the team, if the team waits until the 11th hour that deals for either player fall through and they don't get traded? No, I don't think that they're – I think Craig Conroy – That would be a mess. It would be a complete and utter failure, and I just don't think – Craig Conroy has been putting too many hours and drinking too many coffees and losing too much sleep about this to not have a contingency plan B, C through Q for Friday, March 8th. I, I don't think there is any way he's going to Herm Edwards the clock. Like, he's he's <laughs> he, he, he's got... That's a great reference. I, I don't know where that came that was from. That's great. I just... He has got this... He's got that part on lock. They will not go past the deadline without contracts on this team or being traded. It I, is black or white. I, I think we're both of the belief that the Flames have offers in the holster for both that they could say yes to at any point. They're just hoping that those offers get a little sweeter. Uh, this says both players will play the homestand but won't fly to Florida with the team. They'll be traded on Wednesday. Uh, this says, you guys are insane. Play them. Uh, this says, uh, by the way, 960-960, I think they should sit guys, but I don't think they will. It may also depend if they win the next couple or not as well. Decent. What what is Monday's game against Seattle yeah. really look like? Are uh, they four back of Seattle and eight back of a playoff spot, or are they one back of a playoff spot and two up on Seattle by the time they play on Monday? Right, and this is why I'm cringing. Can you really? And I don't know if those things are possible. Can you let that make your decision though? You can't. I mean, this I, has to. The, <laughs> credit to Craig Conroy. He's done a really good job of. Looking at, at the long-range portion of this. Now now we're talking about playing a guy to hopefully get two points at the risk of jeopardizing your return package. And I, I just, I, uh, it gives me the heebie-jeebies to go too much further. <laughs> Uh, Sam says, if I was Conroy, I'd keep Tanev and Hannafin for the next two. After that, I wouldn't play Tanev against Seattle or Tampa. Hannafin, yes, for Seattle. I only take Tanev out because of his style of play, so completely on board with you. Nice uh, to see somebody is. 
One last look at Hannafin and Tanev shutting down a top player in the East on Saturday to coax those teams to juice the deal. Maybe. This play all the time, no matter what, you don't know if they're going to get traded or not. They, they are going to get traded. Let's, let's, they, they are. Um, this says, I feel like I'm living vicariously through Conroy until the deadline. It's almost like Christmas. Will Santa provide the first for Tanev? Also excited to see what Hannafin sells for. Knowing the Lindholm deal, I feel like it'll be another lopsided haul. The job Craig has done makes me sad that rebuilding GMs never get nominated for awards. Um, this it's good, says, it's a good go text. Ahead. Yeah, exactly. That's very well, that's very well said. Um, this says if other teams don't want them to get hurt, they should up their ante and make a deal. Why should the Flames sit them so they don't get hurt? Well, because then you lose your asset. You're not doing it for the other team. You're doing it so that you don't lose out on the return right. for the players you're trading. Uh, this says two words, fellas. Asset management and injury completely messes with the long-term plans. Jake Gensel's the perfect case study. Just as I was about to hit send, you guys said it. There's your answer. Um, I was going to say, is that text from me? I think it actually was. I, think I, I, see I, that. I I think I was thinking of sending that in. Oh no, you're a six two nine guy. This is a six one three guy. Jake Jake Gensel's a perfect example of it. Um, Brian and Pitt Meadows says, didn't Camilleri get traded in the third period of a game? Think it was a Montreal game. He did. I don't remember what period it was in, but he got pulled from a game that Montreal yep. was playing. Traded to Calgary. The Flames were playing Anaheim, I believe, that night. Yeah. Blair Jones scored the overtime winner. It was completely and utterly irrelevant because everybody cared about the Camilleri deal. Right. Um, and I remember that very vividly. Rene Bork was part of the package going the other way. Patrick Holland was he one of the players that went that way too? Um, <laughs> now you're getting deep. All all I remember is sitting in the press box. The Flames game hadn't started yet, and Cam Larry had just been pulled mid game from the Montreal. And this was only in the beginning stages of Twitter. Like, yeah, like Twitter was there wasn't not a what it ton is now. Of certainty about what was happening. Um, yeah, I, I remember sitting there, and I I don't even know now that you mentioned it how we found out it was Calgary. If it was, you know, an email press release, if it was on the intermission uh, of that Montreal game, if it was the early stages of Twitter. I don't. I I just remember sitting in the press box waiting to find out with these weird circumstances and knowing that the Calgary Flames certainly had an affinity for the player, whether the Flames had made that deal or if Mike Camilleri was going somewhere else. Brad in Coventry Hill says, have to agree that risking returns for a shot at a possibility of exiting in the first round in five games makes zero sense. Um, this says, best case scenario, they make a wild card spot. So what? So what? They're not going any further. Trade them now or at least sit them. Then John in Copperfield says, as a season ticket holder, I'd like to see both players in every game until traded, which is fair. And, and honestly, fair. A season ticket holder has more of a, I don't know, th their voice means more than my voice in a lot in in, in mo because they're 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 the ones paying the thousands of dollars to come to every game. Like I, th I think that that opinion is quite important. It has to matter. The season yeah. ticket holder. Now those season ticket holders, they will, also want to see them win a cup the, too. The first ones groaning if if something happens to that player, and that's what makes this such a a challenging spot for Craig Conroy and, and the organization. Everyone wants to see those guys on the ice for as long as possible. And if nothing happens, then you've made the right decision. You know, as long as you get them bubble wrapped to the point that you need them to trade them, then everything's fine. It's just sort of the worst case scenario that everyone 
has nightmares about. Just want to, uh, it was, okay, here was the deal. Like, the fact that you even remember Patrick Holland's name, regardless of if he was in this trade, is incredible. It's very it's very Labardius Pike-level memory stuff. Yeah. I, I, I'm quite proud of myself. Um, so, Calgary got a fifth-round pick, Mike Camilleri, and Kari Ramo, the rights to Kari Ramo from Montreal in exchange for... Um, so a fifth-round pick, Camilleri and Ramo, in exchange for uh, Rennie Bork, Patrick Holland, and a second-round pick who turned into Zach Fucali. So that is okay. that is what that trade ended the, up uh, being. The rights to Kari Ramo were a, a sort of sneaky part of that deal. And ended up being a good part of it. Yeah. Uh, and this text says, didn't Feaster do an interview on the Jumbotron mid-game about the trade? I believe in either the first or second intermission, Feaster did do his media availability about that trade. You uh, you want to know my mid-game Jay Feaster availability story? I was in Colorado the night he offersheeted Ryan O'Reilly. And before sort of everything had before CJ had the the scoop had about blown up about the waiver and you know geez. there are people no longer with the organization who were yes. involved in that who will go to their grave believing that they wouldn't have lost him yeah and i think jay is one of those i, th- people. I believe jay is yeah. one of those people he uh he walked around that press box and i i i've got a lot of time for jay feaster as do i he, he was terrific for us to deal with he was he walked around that press box in Colorado with quite a smirk on his face that night. He was awfully proud to get that deal done. We know how it turned out, but it was one of the uh, the more memorable mid-game interviews I've done was Jay Feaster mid-game against Colorado explaining how he just offersheeted one of their young stars. Yep. Man, that like Ryan O'Reilly's considered old now. What's that make us? Also old. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I just wanted to old. check. Yeah. Like, we're, we're millennials, but we're like old millennials. We so, don't even get to – it's not even young anymore. So would you say we've solved the Tan of Hannafin debate? I think that I my I think I'm right. You know, the, the text <laughs> line sort of raised a, a new issue when they started with the Camilleri trade, breaking it down period by period. Maybe tomorrow on Flames Talk we can throw that in the mix. Maybe they play – That's a fair know, point. Maybe they play till halfway through that game against Seattle. Uh, It is Pat and Wes (laughs) underway this hour on Flames Talk. It is a fascinating conversation uh, as we are 10 days and four games from the 2024 NHL trade deadline. Our coverage on Friday, March 8th will be wall-to-wall here on Sportsnet 960, the fan, and on our family of podcasts. And it's brought to you by four great sponsors, including SML Entertainment. Visit the new showroom on Center Street just north of Glenmore Trail and check out luxurious hot tubs and top-of-the-line Pool tables, SML Entertainment, where the fun never stops. Flamestock is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. Time now for a Tuesday edition of our Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, the fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell as electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport. Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson here at the Scotiabank Saddledome and the Hot Stove Lounge as we continue along. And now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Gents, um... Okay, here's kind of the the way things have gone over the last little while. We've seen 
Uh, Andre Kuzmenko kind of seemed like a permanentish fit on a line with Jonathan Huberdeau and Yegor Sharangovich over the last few weeks. Then in the last few games, Sharangovich has been dropped from that line and either benched in the third period or moved on to another line. Then on Saturday in Edmonton, Sharangovich was ill, wasn't able to play in that game, and uh, we saw Jacob Pelche skating on that line, but that was very short-lived. In fact, Dryden Hunt was the guy that ended up playing playing on that line in the 6-3 win over the Oilers. Now, I I do know there's a lot of um, speculation and some conspiracy theories out there on Twitter that maybe the Flames aren't being fully truthful about Kuzmenko, but I I actually, they are. Uh, Kuzmenko got sent home from Edmonton on Saturday. They had to put him in a car because they didn't want him around the team when he was still potentially contagious. Uh, So they did not want him... um, around the team. I think I'm saying I think I'm saying Sharon Govich, not Kuzmenko. I mean Kuzmenko. They sent Kuzmenko home. Uh, they didn't want him around the team and so he missed the game on Saturday. He has practiced the last two days, but I think whatever he was fighting really, really took a bite out of him. So he's still a little out of gas and is not going to play Tuesday against Los Angeles. All that is to say, gents, here is my question. Pelche, Hunt, Kuzmenko or somebody else? Who is the best fit on this line right now with Huberdo and Sharon Govich? Well, first of all, Andre Kuzmenko feeling under the weather would explain what we saw at practice yesterday when he clearly was the 13th forward, but then got work on the first power play. So probably didn't want to drain him by uh, skating him on a line during practice, but wanted to get him some work on the PP uh, at the end of practice. So that explains that. And uh, him getting a little bit more work at the end of an optional morning skate today. So it does look like he's progressing in the right direction. And Ryan Huska did say it, that they expect to have him back on Saturday. So a light week for the Flames, and it works out pretty well in that regard. As far as who is the best fit playing in a line with Jonathan Huberto and Yegor Sharangovich, I still think that Andre Kuzmenko has the most potential to be the best fit. But really, it's going to be up to him, guys. He's going to have to work harder without the puck. He's going to have to make better decisions with the puck. And then he's going to have to do what he does best, and that's shoot the puck and put it in his opponent's net. He is an elite shooter. Uh, I think the same can be said about Sharon Govich. And then you've got an elite passer in Huberto, who is clearly playing the best hockey he's played as a member of the Flames right now with 21 points in his last 22 games and 10 points in his last nine games. So... Uh, again, on paper, and sometimes things look good on paper and don't look good on the ice. Uh, uh, a good example of that would be Jonathan Huberdeau and Elias Lindholm, which never really worked the way that we thought it would or that the Flames hoped that it would. But uh, I still think on paper, Huberdeau, along with Sharon Govich and Kuzmenko, makes a ton of sense. But Kuzmenko, uh, I think it's safe to say, probably wore out his welcome with the Canucks because uh, he probably wasn't good enough without the puck and made too many mistakes with it. I I do wonder if some of those same things are going on now that he's joined the Flames. So if he can clean that up, then I think he could be a a great fit with those two guys. I think the the short answer for me, guys, is that the Calgary Flames do not, on their roster right now, have the right fit to play with Sharon Govich and Huberto. And when we hear Craig Conroy talk about 
you know, the potential of, of adding or the intrigue of adding a young center in a deadline deal. If that kind of player is available, when, when we hear rumors that they're looking to get a center in one of those packages when Noah Hannafin and, and Chris Tanev are ultimately moved out, I think that young center has a good chance of arriving in Calgary and immediately getting a look with Huberto and Sharon Govich. And while that's not meant to be a knock on Andre Kuzmenko, I do think that Yegor Sharangovich has done an admirable job of trying to play center, but he's not a center. He's not as effective up the middle of the ice as we saw him on the wing. Yep. And that's what it comes down to for me. If we're if we're looking at sort of the options on the active roster, a healthy Kuzmenko when he's feeling 100% versus Dryden Hunt versus Jacob Pelche, I think because of Kuzmenko's scoring prowess, he becomes the the sort of most obvious fit, at least for the first two periods of a game when you can overlook some of his defensive follies a little bit. But overall, I just don't think Yegor Sharangovich is best utilized at center. And for that reason, I don't think the right player to play with those two guys is on the Flames roster. The, the interesting way the interesting way that I'd phrase this and why I ultimately if if we're talking about Sharon Govich remaining down the middle for the time being and, and who knows how much longer that continues to Wes's point Derek that you know maybe a, a younger guy who can play center gets brought in maybe they do experiment more with Connor Zary down the middle in the back quarter of the season may, maybe if they fall a little further out of it it might it might spur them on to give Zary a little bit more time down the middle I don't know but as it stands right now with Sharon Govich at center and Huberdo on his left wing I think the best fit is Kuzmenko and the reason why I say that has less to do with what Kuzmenko's done with those guys even though I agree with the points you made Wilsey the reason why I go that way is because I just don't know where else Kuzmenko fits on the roster or in the lineup if he's not there. If you're not breaking up the Kadri line, and, and at this point, why would you? And if you're not breaking up the Backlund line, at, the, at this point, why would you? So if, if those two lines are static, and, and, and I think we all agree they should be, well, then where else does Kuzmenko fit? Because as you said this morning when we were talking about a Wilsey, he's not a fourth-line guy. That's not where his, that's not where his skill set is profiles best so the reason why I think the best fit with this current roster as it's assembled is Kuzmenko on that line when he's healthy is because I don't know where else Andre fits in the lineup if he's not there right now yeah that's fair Uh, just to circle back to something that Wes said I agree wholeheartedly that Yegor Sharangovich has looked better on right wing than at center but it brings me back to a conversation we had a number of years ago when Elias Lindholm was having success playing right wing and then the Flames moved him to center. And I remember at the time, Pat was behind that move from right wing to center. And I wasn't so sure because I thought he was their best right winger. Now, he also turned into their best centerman. But I just wonder if given a bit more time, because he doesn't have a lot of experience playing down the middle, if Sharon Govich could successfully make the transition that Lindholm made all of those years back. Maybe he could, maybe he couldn't, I don't know. But I just, I don't have a big enough sample size yet. And when I think about how the Flames are playing this season in comparison to how they played the last couple of seasons and how much more responsibility the centerman has, 
Probably not an easy transition for a guy like Sharon Govich, who's still relatively young at 25 and, and an experience at the NHL level. So uh, for sure, he's been better on right wing than at center. But uh, they're looking for a guy to replace Lindholm's minutes uh, at even strength on the power play and on the penalty kill. And uh, I think uh, where they're still searching more so than uh, on special teams is that five on five. So we'll see. And you know what? I, I think Dryden Hunt deserves some credit here. He's a guy who played first-line minutes in the AHL and was almost a point-of-game player with the Calgary Wranglers, comes up, uh, gets into a game, and is on the fourth line. And then, because of some of the struggles that we've talked about with Andre Kuzmenko, gets promoted to the first line, well, pseudo-first line. I'm not sure everybody would number it uh, as the first line, especially with how the Kadri and Backlund lines have played. But I think he's done a pretty good job in that spot. And uh, I wouldn't say that he's going to be a long-term fit there, but... That the fact that he's got some size, plays a little bit heavier game, is willing to do some dirty work, I do think that's opened things up a little bit for Huberto and Sharon Govich. So just wanted to give him a little credit because I think he's done a, a good job uh, with a small sample size to look at. And, guys, I, I don't want to be the one dumping on Sharon Govich as a center because I, I do, as I said, I think he's done an admirable job. I'd rather see him at center than maybe risk the momentum that Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil have built in the early stages of their career. And as Wilsey said, you know, he might prove to be a, yeah. a, a dependable center at this level. Part of the part of the biggest struggle right now for Yegor Sharangovich, I shouldn't say part of the biggest struggle right now for Yegor Sharangovich as a centerman is he can't win a faceoff, right? I, I believe he's less than 40% on the season. And so if you have Andre Kuzmenko, a guy who's not suited to a defensive role on his wing and the other team starting 60% of the shifts with the puck, that makes it a really awkward fit. And maybe that's why we keep seeing Dryden Hunt get promoted in the third period into that spot because we listened to Ryan Huska yesterday talk about his commitment on both sides of the puck. He is a guy that Ryan Huska going back to training camp, trust to do sort of those little things. And so if you're not starting with the puck because you're not winning the faceoff, then you can't have two offensively skewed wingers. It just, it, it's not going to work out. And so I agree that it's probably the best current fit for Kuzmenko in the lineup. But, you know, the faster that Yegor Sharangovich can address some of those face-off issues. That allows him to have a more offensively-minded guy on his way. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm really curious to see how this continues to play out and and how much longer they decide to to go with that and and to have Sharon Govich play down the middle. I'm um, just going to take a look at the the faceoff percentage since um, since he got moved to center. He's at. 42.2, which is exactly what NHL.com is, is showing. Any. So so it is a slight improvement because he's at 39.8 for the season. Okay. And, like he, yeah. He's working his butt off at it. We all see him after practice. It's just it's not something that's come naturally to yeah. him as a strength. I'm not here saying they'd be better off with Cole Schwint as their first-line center. It's just when your top-line center loses 60% of the face-offs, it, it means you're going to need a yeah. guy on the wing who can play defense. 
Um, okay, so that is the that's kind of the the on ice X's and O's topic on today's Flames Roundtable. Derek Wills, Wes Gilbertson, Pat Steinberg on a Tuesday. Uh, this uh, a little bit more of a of a standings question, and and maybe more X's and O's looking at the opponent on Tuesday night, and that's the L.A. Kings. So the situation right now, Kings sit seven points up on the Flames. L.A. currently holds down the number one wild card spot in the Western Conference. Seven games up on the Flames. They also have one few game played than Calgary so you know that's that's a little bit of a, a, a difficult gap to close but they still have three head-to-head matchups with LA between now and the end of the season including this one on Tuesday we don't know what's happening with one of their most important forwards Adrian Kempe is not going to play against the Flames got injured on Monday night against the Oilers looked like an arm injury he's back in LA now getting an MRI so they're evaluating how long he might be out of the lineup for uh, and it has just not been a great calendar year of 2024 in Los Angeles after a dynamite start to the season I ask all of that with a head-to-head matchup in the offing how vulnerable are the Kings in that number one wild card spot whether it be to the flames or or anybody else in the conversation i do think they're vulnerable because they're not a team that scores a ton uh, and they more often than not win hockey games by preventing their opponent from scoring more than two or three goals they're third in the nhl in goals against per game only the jets and the panthers have been better and they've got the best penalty kill in the league, although it's stumbled a little bit of late. I do wonder about their goaltending. A couple of the former Flames, uh, Cam Talbot's had a good season, but at 36, will he wear down playing more games than I think uh, he planned and, and they planned on him playing? Uh, David Riddick uh, got the start in the last three games. He's had a, a pretty good bounce back year. Don't forget, he started the season in the AHL. First time he played in that league since he was with the Stockton Heat back in 2017-2018, uh, so it had been a minute uh, for David Reddick playing at the AHL level, but with the injury to Phoenix Copley, he comes up and he's performed admirably as their number two guy, but I still do wonder a little bit about their goaltending moving forward. Uh, you mentioned Adrian Kempe's injury. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what the results uh, on his tests uh, indicate. They're without Victor Arvidsson right now. He's not going to be back until at least the middle of March. They're without Mikey Anderson right now. He's week to week. And without Carl Grundstrom, one of the more physical forwards, and he's another guy on LTIR who won't be back probably until the middle of March. So they're a little bit banged up right now, 6-3-0 and since the coaching change. It's uh, an interim coach in Jim Hiller, so I guess some questions there as far as what his future is moving forward, and that might depend on how they finish off the regular season uh, and if they get to the playoffs and how much noise they make if they do get there. But I do think they're somewhat vulnerable uh, Maybe not so much from a Flames perspective, although to your point, Pat, with three head-to-head matchups left and six points on the table, uh, just for argument's sake, let's say the Flames sweep uh, the final three games of their four-game season series against the Kings, which will be way easier said than done. They're a tough team to play against. Well, now seven points becomes one. Uh, And I know they've got a game in hand, but uh, there are plenty of games left, so uh, plenty of time to, to figure that out as well. But I do think they're vulnerable because of their goaltending situation, because of some of their injuries, and because they rely so much on how they play defensively and on their penalty kill. They're, they're not, for me, a team that uh, is all that often going to win by scoring five or six goals. And, and I think you have to be able to win different ways. And uh, I'm not sure, at least to me, that they've proven that they can do that on a consistent basis to this point. 
Here's the biggest thing for me, guys, that makes the Los Angeles Kings vulnerable as as they try to hang on to uh, a playoff position or improve and, and climb into one of those top three spots in the Pacific Division. We're talking about a team that since January 1st is clipping along at a 4.79 points percentage. They're 24th Ooh, in the league. That includes six of nine since coaching change. Right, yeah. and so they're 24th in the NHL in points percentage since the calendar flipped to 2024. And that that tells me right there that this is a team that has been scuffling along. And that, you know, if they keep up at, at 4.79 for the rest of the season, they are vulnerable. But the one stat that Wilsey pointed out that makes me believe they're a little less vulnerable is that goals against you know third in the league in terms of defensive stinginess as the games get even tighter down the stretch and we know they always do you look at the teams that have the best defensive numbers as teams that are probably going to win their share of those close hard fought March early April games that we're used to seeing I, I do expect when the dance starts that the Kings are going to be there but is vulnerable a fair term right now Absolutely. You know, a lot of the, uh, whether it's stat fleets or money puck or a lot of the other playoff prognosticators have the Kings in the high 80s, low 90s in, in terms of percentage to make the playoffs. Like the latest look at uh, money puck has them 93.2%. Like they're still going to have to do a significant amount of damage to themselves, I think, to miss out. But the injuries aren't pretty, and if Kempe is out a long time, that that takes a really important like twenty twenty five goal guy out of their lineup and a forward group that is not the sexiest to begin with. And let's not forget they kind of depleted their forward depth when they went out and made that right now on a so far not so successful acquisition of Pierre Luc Dubois. So they they kind of depleted some of their forward depth to begin with there. Um, so you know they they. I, I would say that they, I don't know if I would put them quite in the vulnerable category, but I think that they are um, not, I, I would not put them in the solidified playoff category either. Like if I'm, if I'm Minnesota, if I'm Calgary, if I'm Nashville, if I'm St. Louis, I'm, yes, I'm locked in on that number two wildcard spot because that's the one that's closest, but I'm not completely done looking at games against the Kings as uh, four-point games either if I'm any one of those teams in the mix. So their goaltending has dropped off. Cam Talbot was an all-star and, and deservingly so, but his game has dropped off because they just used him too much. And they have found something in Riddick, and, and uh, the word that you use, Wilsey's bang on. Like, he's performed admirably. And the last thing I'll say is that it just hit me as I was doing prep for this game that – Riddick and Talbot was the last goaltending tandem the Flames had before Jacob Markstrom signed. They, remember? Remember the, the nightmare game six in the bubble against Dallas when Talbot got the yep. hook and Riddick came in? Like That's only three years ago, and these guys were the tandem on the Flames, and now they're members of the LA Kings on a tandem in the same division, which doesn't happen very often. So that's, that's just the way that I'll end my um, thoughts on this. Yeah, really hard to believe that was only three years ago. It feels right. like about 30 years ago. I, I still find it hard to believe how cold that rink was. Yeah, you were there at least. Oh, my yeah. God. Yep. 
Um, all right, boys, that was good. Uh, hey, I will, we'll, we'll see if LA can protect their playoff spot and we'll see what the flames end up settling with when it comes to who plays on that Huberdo Sharon Govich line. Uh, for now, uh, wills he get here safe? We'll see you in a few hours. Hey, okay. See you soon guys. He is Derek Wills. He's Wes Gilbertson. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up this hour on Flames Talk. Thanks to Shan and Cam, our producers. And that'll wrap us up on the Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The fastest-growing segment of vehicles they sell is electric. Informed buyers are coming to see. Perhaps you should discover why. Minutes from the Calgary Airport.